All right, here we are again, episode seven, an idiot and expert podcast. Uh, I'm Cal Jojo. I'm here, of course, with my co-host uh, Claudio Perfetto. You could find us at Idiot Expert Pod on Twitter. You can follow uh, him at C Perfetto Eleven. You can follow me at Cal Jojo Five. Um, Claudio, how are you? Good. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, episode seven. So we are chugging along here. Hater said we wouldn't make it this far, but we proved <laughs> them wrong. Um, we keep we keep moving forward, um, as does the Champions League, and we'll start there first. Um, Claude, I guess we're going to start with a matchup that both you and I thought was the most intriguing to begin with, and that's Juventus-Real Madrid. Um, you were looking for a draw in the outcome. Obviously, that was not the case. What was your major takeaways from the game? Yeah, I thought... Um... Juventus, if they could get a draw at home, uh, 0-0 especially, it would have been a great result going into the second leg of the fixture, which is in Madrid. Uh, didn't go that way. Surprisingly, I didn't think Juventus played that poorly. They actually they gave up a goal early, early on to Ronaldo, which was down to some really poor man marking. You, I mean, you can't lose Cristiano Ronaldo in the box. Well, let's and, let's let's talk about that play quickly. Yeah. Um, that was a, a you know from a, a not a, a novice perspective, that looked like a moving screen in basketball. Uh, <laughs> it it kind of seemed like a set play uh, where where the uh, Ronaldo's teammate ran towards uh, the defender cleared him out and then uh, gave Ronaldo some, some space to receive the pass and, and, you know, bury one. Um, is that not a penalty? Is that, is, is that a frequently drawn up play? Is that something that they work on? Yeah. I mean, that's something that they do. You know, they, they cross the ball into the box often and he runs across the box that way. And you, you look for confusion um, so that he gets that little bit of space to, score and that's exactly what happened um but the thing is Juventus they are usually very strong and solid defensively and they shouldn't really be giving up that space um and we'll get into why I guess later on um but as far as the rest of the match they they did control like the next 60 minutes or so uh before the second goal they played well they had plenty of opportunities to score themselves they just weren't able to. And then on the second goal, it was very odd to see confusion between Chiellini and Buffon. So Marcelo from Real Madrid crossed the ball basically right into the middle, right above the box. Chiellini was going back to get it. And instead of just letting Buffon take the ball with his hands, Chiellini decided to kick it for some reason. Uh, very odd to see miscommunication between those two. And, yeah, and they've been they've been playing together for however long yeah. it's been. Um, you don't really expect that, but both with Juventus and with Italy, exactly. Yeah, and that kind of sent the whole defense into a frenzy, and it ended up with the absolutely amazing bicycle kick um, from Ronaldo, which basically just broke yeah. Juventus's confidence at and, that and, point. And from again, from someone um, who has not you know, followed soccer their entire life or for someone who did not see the game. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a a hockey uh, deflection into the net. It was a missiled rocket 
yeah. uh, into the corner of the net. Um, it was which, perfect. Yeah, I didn't, which I didn't think you could possibly uh, target or shoot a ball that hard upside down. Yeah, I mean, just look how high he got, too. It was just a freak of nature, athletically. I mean, that's all you could say. Now, my argument would be, why was he that wide open? But it's really caused by the whole sequence of play. Like I said, you know, they kind of just scrambled around and stuff. The whole defense wasn't set back. And uh, that's why he was able to get that space to do that. But really, kudos to him, because even though he had all that space, it's still a very difficult thing to do. So... You know, hats off to him. Absolutely, and I mean, let's let's get back into that. You you seem to be hammering the Juventus defense. Um, is it more the excellence of Cristiano Ronaldo and Real Madrid, or is it just a lack of defensive effort from no. Juventus? Yeah, I mean, so I think it's twofold. Um, Juventus's defense. They've been really good in Serie A this, lately in the season. They didn't get off to a great start, in, uh, even defensively, but the past couple of months they've been magnificent in, in Italy. Um, but in the Champions League, I mean, if you look at the tie against Tottenham, they gave up a, a, a bunch of goals. They gave up four, what did they give up? four goals in, in that tie or three goals in that tie also. So they haven't been the same Juventus um, as we've seen in the past defensively. And I would also argue that, um, and this is something that has been bothering me. I've, I've seen a lot of Juventus fans on Twitter and, and on the internet, you know, just saying how it was the coach's fault. He didn't have the right guys out there. He didn't have the right tactics out there. Look, Real Madrid is better than Juventus. There's no question about it. I mean, if you go position by position, they're a, they're a much more talented team. Obviously, they spend a lot more money. They have some of the best players on, in the world on their team, and they're a bad matchup for them. You know, we saw it last year in the Champions League final. They beat them 4-1. So they're not a good matchup for Juventus, whereas, you know, if you look at a Barcelona, maybe Barcelona is a little bit better of a matchup for Juventus because they're not as fast as Real Madrid. You know, the problem with Real Madrid is that they have so much speed and skill that if you press them and try to score in their half, they could just you know, completely flip the switch and get to the other side of the field with a couple of passes. And, and, and then they have, finish with athleticism. Right, and then you have Ronaldo, who's probably the best finisher in, in soccer at this time. So it's just a very, very tough matchup for them. And, you know, the coach is not the problem. I mean, I, I would tell Juventus fans to look at the years where Antonio Conti was their coach. They didn't even get this, you know, anywhere near this far in the Champions League under Conti. So, you know, the coach has done a great job with what he's had. I mean, in the summer, you look at Juventus and, yeah, they're still strong enough to win Italy. But in terms of Champions League, you know, they've spent money on Douglas Costa and Bernardeschi, who are two wingers, two attacking players, when they already have Dybala, Cuadrado, Mandzukic, and Higuain in those positions, whereas maybe they should have spent the money on a midfielder or another defender after they lost um, now, Bonucci. So. Now, you mentioned uh, Dybala, and this is someone that we've raved about on this program um, week in and week out, but your initial text message to me was not positive about the, uh, Paolo Dybala. Yeah, well, he, he, um, he played well, you know, uh, up until that second goal. Also, he was lively. You know, he threatened Real Madrid. Um, but at the end of the day... 
you know, you don't see Messi or Ronaldo or even Neymar getting two yellow cards and thrown at, thrown out of a game like that. I mean, as soon as he got a red card, the game's over. I mean, you can't. Juventus yeah. had a hard time playing with eleven men against Real Madrid. Can, how were they supposed to play with ten men and keep it relatively close? And really, at that point, it's only two nothing, which is still a long shot to overcome in the second leg, but. It's not impossible, whereas 3 nothing now really becomes impossible. And, and even if you have 11 on 11 for the last you know, 25 minutes and it's 2 nothing, maybe you get a goal back and it completely changes the complexion of things. Whereas now you got a red card, now they gave up a third goal, and it's 3 nothing going into Madrid and it's pretty much over. Yeah, it seemed that um, the Ronaldo bicycle kick goal uh, just deflated them. Um, yeah, they, they got lost, very frustrated. They lost all composure. Um, and then it seemed immediately after uh, Dybala picks up the second yellow card, he's out of the game. Now they're playing with 10, with 10 men. Um, you can't overcome that. <laughs> no, you, you really can't. can't. And, you know, in my opinion, Juventus' slogan is Fino alla fina in Italian, which means until the end. And, you know, if you're going to live by that slogan, you have to have players who also live by that slogan and getting a red card because you're frustrated, you know, 60 in the 65th minute or whenever it was, you know, that's not living by that slogan. And, and that's I'll not giving you, yourself a chance. I'll tell you, Claude, you know, uh, I watched the game um, leading up to it. They were, they were pushing. They looked like the better team for, like you said, 60 minutes. Yep. Um, it was, uh, to just totally give up after that after that goal um, was very uncharacteristic of, it, of it a very solid team. Um, yeah, maybe it's like I said that they lost in in the final to them last year. Maybe that's still in the back of their mind, and they just have it in their head that this is a team that's very difficult for them to overcome. Uh, but you know, look. I don't think anybody would have been shocked if Juventus won this this uh, leg of the Champions League. I don't think anybody would have been shocked. Were they the favorites? Probably not, but they weren't major underdogs either. So they obviously didn't have the belief themselves after that second and, goal. And you know which what? Is ha- a shame. What has to hurt if you're a Juventus fan? This was the point of the whole season. You know what I mean? This um, you've won how, however many Italian leagues in a row. Um, You've performed admirably every single year. Um, you're you're probably on your way to win another uh, Italian league. This was the, this was what you were playing for. This was your trophy this year, um, and it seems as if it's about to to evade you yet again. Right, and that goes back to what I was saying about the summer transfers. It's just you know if your goal is to win the Champions League, and they'll never say that. They always say. Italy and Serie A is the priority. The Champions League, obviously, we go as far as we can. We try to win all competitions. But really, like you said, after winning six in a row, it's okay if you don't win Serie A, but you actually win the Champions League. I, I think the fans would be more than happy with that trade for, for one season. And their transfer market should have reflected that. I mean, you're not going to play five attacking players in the Champions League against Real Madrid. So with that in mind, you know, maybe you should have invested the money in a better midfield or another defender, and and, and that would have helped well, you win the competition. And, I mean, we're talking as if it's over. Obviously, there's a second leg yeah. to play, and miracles can happen. We've seen that before. 
Um, but I want to pose the question now. What do they need to do to get on the level of Real Madrid? They need – Real Madrid's obviously, to get on the level of Real Madrid is difficult because you need a lot of money, and they're very good, you know, 1 through 22. You know, they have depth at every position. They have world-class players at every position. But, you know, to what, what Juventus should do, in my opinion, is they should have a starting 11 that's as good as anybody in Europe. That's what they should focus on. And then their depth maybe takes a little bit of a hit. But if they have one guy at every position, that should be still you know, strong enough and deep enough to, to win Italy and compete in the Champions League instead of stocking up on certain positions and lacking in other ones. Um, so, so you're saying the midfield is, is yeah, stacked the and they need, what, where would they need to add depth? No, the midfield is the problem. In the my midfield opinion. is the problem. So okay. you know, if you look at, in my, right now I would say that they are lacking at right back because they they let Danny Alves go last year and they signed Deshilio from Milan, who's a decent player, but he's not on the level of Danny Alves or anybody that Real Madrid or the top teams in Europe have. Then in the midfield is where the real problem lies because they have Pjanic, who's a really good, one of the top midfielders in the world. But other than that, you know, they have Sammy Kadira, who's a German international, but he's pretty much over the hill at this point, although he played really well yesterday, but he's, he's older and he can't do it week in and week out anymore. Marquisio, I know Juventus fans are in love with him. He's homegrown. He, he's been loyal to them. He's really a really great Italian player also, but him too, he's very injury prone. He's yeah, older it seems like he can't, can't get on the field. Exactly. So, you know, you have those two guys, they signed Matuidi, who's, surplus of requirements at PSG. And now, you know, he's playing for Juventus and, um, you know, they need, they don't need players like that. They need players that are, you know, heading towards the prime of their career, in my opinion. And they lost Paul Pogba to Manchester United and they were never going to replace him because he's one of the top midfielders in the world, but they should have at least tried to come close. They don't have anything close to that at this point. So, I would say that the midfield definitely has to be a focus for them. And, and you know, defensively, they, they're okay. You know, Chiellini's still pretty good. Barzali is, is pretty much done, in my opinion. He has to retire. But, um, you know, they have Benatia, who didn't play yesterday because he, or uh, Tuesday because he was suspended. Um, so, but he's pretty good. And they could probably use, you know, another strong central defender just for depth purposes. And those are the areas, you know, that would help them get closer to, to the Real Madrid's and Barcelona's. But at the end of the day, it's all about opening up your pocketbook and uh, opening the wallet up yeah. um, and spending money. And if you don't spend money, you're not going to succeed. Yeah, they, they've been trying to get players you know, especially midfielders, they've been trying to get these guys that are on free transfers where they don't have to pay transfer fees and they just have to sign these guys to, to contracts. And that's not going to cut it because most of the time, if a guy is on a free transfer, if, he's, if his contract is running out, he's not a world-class player. You know, his team obviously might not be okay with letting, letting him go, but they would have sold him for a huge sum of money if, he indeed was a world-class player before it got to the point where his contract was expired. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you have to kind of evaluate, you know, let's take it from 
take it from from someone who's a fan of of American sports. If you if you can't get over the hump of of beating the Real Madrids and the Barcelonas of the world, who seem as if they're on the next level, uh, you need to really reevaluate what you're doing with your player development and maybe employ a different strategy uh, to to push you over that edge. Um, you know, it's a, a, a similar thing that I was thinking about was uh, the Warriors lose to the Cavaliers in the finals two years ago. Added Kevin Durant. Right. I, mean, I know it's I, I know that's an extreme example, but there's very few things that are going to push you past LeBron James. That's one of those things. Uh, yeah. You have to you have to make a huge splash in order to to get over that hump. And Juventus, they're not in the class financially where they can go out and spend, you know, a ton of money on a top, top player. They just, you know, they, the way the transfer market is today, they don't have that kind of money, but they have a decent amount of money. And, you know, someone like Paul Pogba, they got on a free transfer from Manchester United when he was very young and they helped develop him into one of the top midfielders in the world. So that's my point is that if you can't go out and spend the 100 million euros or whatever it takes to sign a top, top player, then you should be able to find these younger, talented players that are cheaper and then develop them into you know, a top, you, top player. Let me ask you that question. The, the question, though, um, do Juventus fans have the patience to play with the – to? to deal with a development, a, a rebuild, if you will? Well, it wouldn't be a total rebuild, but they don't have the patience because if you, if you look um, Tuesday, Rodrigo Bentancourt played midfield because Pjanic was suspended and he didn't play either. So they put in Bentancourt in his place, who's a 20-year-old Uruguayan who just came over this summer. And, you know, all the fans were up in arms, like, why is Bentancourt playing instead of Matuidi or... Marquisio now it's twofold because I understand that perspective and, and maybe the right approach is not playing him in a game against Real Madrid, but giving him more time in Serie A, which he hasn't really been getting lately. And then all of a sudden he's starting against Real Madrid. So, you know, maybe that's what you do. Maybe you, you take someone like that, you sign a couple of more like him, you develop him in Serie A where you're playing the Beneventos and the Veronas of the world who are lesser competition and he should be able to hold his own against. And then maybe in a year or two is when he's ready to play in the Champions League now, finals. Now, let me ask you a question. Whose decision is this? Is this the manager's decision? Um, no. Is this the, is this the upper man? Is this the front office's decision? Yeah. They have I, a director of sport that, that handles all the transfers and stuff. And, no, but I mean, in terms of, of all the player, playing. player development, you know, you you mentioned uh, that the, the Uruguayan uh, yeah. midfielder. Um, who who is the per, you know in in baseball, the front office has a good has a, a good rapport with the manager. Over all right, we're gonna we're gonna start playing this young shortstop uh, during these series because we want to see what he can do in the major leagues. Um, they kind of pick and choose when they're going to play them and what spots they're going to play them in. Um, are those discussions going on within? Uh, the soccer world, or is it, it totally up to the manager to play whoever he wants on any given day, or is it the front office that's making those decisions? Yeah, it's um, it's definitely the manager in in soccer, um, especially at Juventus, because 
they live and die by the results. There's no, you know, if, if things don't go well, they wouldn't be able to fire the coach if they were like, okay, well, you know, we told you to play these guys and now you lost. So now you have an, an excuse. So it's totally up to the coach. I think that there's a discussion in the beginning of the season with somebody like that, like Benton who's only 20 years old. And this, the discussion is probably, you know, what do you want to do? We don't want him to just sit on the bench all year. Um, so do you want to keep him here? and play him, develop him a little bit, or do you want to send him on loan where he can go to a smaller team and at least get you know, a full season's worth of games? That's the conversation that probably happens more than on an individual game-to-game basis. All right, interesting. Uh, let's, let's move on to our, our second matchup, which was uh, Barcelona and Roma, another Spanish league uh, against a Serie A team. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, not surprisingly, a, the Spanish league team ran away with it 4-1 over Roma. Um, they were at home. at the, uh, Barcelona was home uh, for their victory. Um, so now we're moving towards the second leg. Rome, uh, has a, uh, Roma has a high hill to climb. Uh, is, it even, is it possible? It's probably not, but I have to say, I was impressed with Roma, even though the scoreline was 4-1. They... They played pretty well. They they actually controlled large parts of the game. They uh, they had plenty of opportunities to score themselves. Um, the out of the four goals that they gave up, two of them were own goals. The last one was a complete mistake by uh, their midfielder Gonalans. Um, so they actually didn't play poorly at all. Um, it was a valiant effort. They, they tried to take the game to Barcelona, which a lot of people don't do, especially in Barcelona. A lot of people just sit back and allow Barcelona to attack wave after wave, and they just pray that you know things don't go Barcelona's way and they can keep them out of the net. But that wasn't Roma's approach. So you know, hats off to them, kudos to them. They, uh, they did pretty well. And unfortunately, like I said, the first two goals were own goals. Uh, the first one by De Rossi, which was really unfortunate. So, but correct me if I'm wrong here, but my general understanding for Roma was just happy to be here right now, right? Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, you know, the fans have to be impressed that they got to the quarterfinals. Um, they had a very tough opponent in Barcelona. But once you're there, you know, you think about the what ifs and, you know, they really, it, it was 4-1, but they, it really wasn't a 4-1 game. I mean, like I said, the own goals uh, hurt them. They had two appeals for a penalty in the first half, which they should have gotten at least one of them. The second one, they, the ref called the foul, but he said it was just outside the box, which it wasn't. It was actually on the line, which should have been a penalty. Um, so they were unfortunate there. Uh, and then in the second half, they went and they were down 3 nothing. They got a goal back, which really brought them back into the tie because if it would have ended 3-1, then they need to win 2 nothing at home, which is still very, very difficult to do. But it's not you know, a crazy thought, whereas winning by three, obviously, is it's the same situation as Juventus. Yeah. It's very, very difficult. So, so but, that, go ahead. Yeah, no, they should have. They, they definitely should be happy with where they got, but they probably are a little bittersweet because of the, the chances that they did have. So I know we had this discussion um, a few episodes back, and we talked about the competitiveness of the European leagues 
we talked about what could possibly be the best European league. Um, I think it's clear that the Spanish league has the, the upper echelon of teams in it, correct? Yeah, that be a fair do. assessment. Um, in terms of competitiveness, though, um, I don't think any of the uh, lower-level Spanish teams can really uh, be on the same playing field as a Real Madrid and a Barcelona. Uh, so I would say that Serie A probably still you know, maintains our point of being one of the more, if not the most competitive leagues, uh, but the upper echelon, obviously, of the, the Spanish league is, is just far superior. Yeah, so it's, it's weird because in Spain – there's Real Madrid, Barcelona, who pretty much win every year. And Atletico Madrid always has an outside shot of, of winning. But after those three teams, there's like a clear drop-off, which I mean, I guess you could say for Italy too. This year happens to be that Italy has a great title race. I mean, they've had thus far. I think it's quickly falling apart, but we'll get to that. But um, it's had a great title race. It's had a great race for the top four. And Serie A at its finest, you know, when Juventus is great and the Milan teams are great and then you have Roma or Napoli also up there, it could be a four or five um, deep Team. title race, yeah. which, which would be awesome and hopefully it does get back to that at some point. Um, but I would say Spain is definitely uh, the strongest league, you know, at this point. Uh, so we move from from that debate towards uh, a interleague matchup, and I don't know how often this happens during the Champions League. Um, our expert could probably provide that to to us. Um, Liverpool and Manchester City, obviously, they both play in the Premier League. Um, Liverpool, in surprising fashion, takes a, a three nothing uh, result moving into the second leg. Um, was this shocking? So. It was, um, and as far as how often does this happen, it, it actually does happen uh, quite a bit. Not every year, but it does happen where teams from the same countries end up playing each other in, in the Champions I would imagine League knockout. As you, as you narrow it down, there's only so yeah. many leagues that they could possibly come from, so it's going to exactly. happen. It's happened, and you know when, when, when the Italian League was at its peak, you know, you had Milan and Inter and Milan and Juventus playing all the time in, in the knockout stages, and you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid or Atletico Madrid and, and Barcelona or Real Madrid play each other. And then the English teams, obviously, they get there a lot, too. So that it's happened um, there. But this was uh, a surprising result. But here's the thing. Liverpool is up there with the AC Milans and, and the Real Madrids and the the Barcelonas as teams that have done very well in the Champions League. So... You know, there's something about them. This was a home game for Liverpool at Anfield, which loves Champions League matches. They've won the competition five times. Um, so maybe that has something to do with it. They, I've read quotes that were, that have said for the Manchester City players, it was a very, very difficult atmosphere for them to play in. Well, I think um, they attacked their team boss before the game or after the game or something like yes, that, right? Yes, they did. That's, that's a bit of a hostile environment. I've never. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if I'd fare well in that type of situation. Yeah, it's a little nerve wracking, but um, so. But as far as the game itself, it was. They had a great game plan. Um, they so 
they press them. You know, Manchester City is usually the team that keeps the ball the whole game in their own half, and they re- they're like a Barcelona because you know their coach Pep Guardiola used to coach Barcelona, so he's trying to implement that same style of where they do a lot of short, quick passes and just try to keep the ball really and wear you down until there's an opening. Um, but Liverpool pressed them as soon as they lost the ball they were back pressing and and trying to win the ball again and and their speed especially the front three players of Sané, Firmino and Salah are so skillful and fast that if you give them any bit of space they're able to score and that's that's exactly what happened so you mentioned Salah and I I I have to ask this and I'm sure it's going to infuriate the soccer diehards of the world but you know in my estimation um there's two names in soccer that are universally synonymous. Um, you're Cristiano Ronaldo and you're Lionel Messi. Even if you're not a soccer fan, you know who they are. Um, my question becomes, is Mo Salah getting to that level? He, he sure is. I mean, he, um, he's had a great season. He scored, I think, at this point, over 30 goals for Liverpool this year. Um, he was actually a Roma player. Did you know that? Yeah, I, I, I saw that, yeah. So yeah, so he he did great in Italy. First he was with um he was with Chelsea and I believe Chelsea loaned him out to Fiorentina where he did really great there. He went back to Chelsea, didn't really work out uh for Chelsea the second time around. So then Chelsea sold him to Roma where he was fantastic. Um so people were saying maybe he's just adapted to Serie A, maybe that's where he belongs. And then this year he got sold back to the Premier League in Liverpool. And it turns out it has nothing to do with Serie A. He's just that good good, player at this, at this point. Um, So I wouldn't put him in the category of Ronaldo and Messi yet, obviously because they're great and they've done it for so long. They've sustained the success. Exactly. Especially in the Champions League. Whereas as good as Salah has been in with Roma and in Italy and now in the Premier League, this is his first year that he's really doing this in the Champions League. Um, So he's not there yet, but he's definitely a top five player at this point. And if he keeps this up, he will, he has the skills to be, you know, in that conversation. Yeah. And I, I, the reason why, you know, you mentioned those two, I mentioned those two names is that there are people that put the ball in the net. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's different from a, a world-class defender or world-class goalkeeper. Right. Um, the people that score the goals generally are the people that are, are the most well-known. Um, and it just seemed like every time you turn around on Twitter, um, everyone is high praise for Mo Salah. Uh, so, you know, that's why um, I, you start to think, uh, could this be the next guy that's universally known? Yeah, he's hot right now. And he also um, brought Egypt to the World Cup, which, you know, was a great honor for him and his country. So he's, uh, he's on top of the world right now. And now, he actually got hurt. Um, in the middle of that game, he didn't play the second half. So, oh wow, okay, that might be a big factor for the second leg. So uh, let's look at it on the, the, from the other perspective, though. You mentioned Roma uh, that they had him last year. Um, See, so, like this doesn't. Tra- this is what doesn't does not translate for me um, as a non soccer, uh, not even expert, but a, a soccer novice. Um, how are they not burning down the stadium? Roma like, fans? Yeah, like how how is that how is that uh flying? You know what I mean? If um if, if for example uh the Warriors traded Steph Curry right before he took off, um 
how you know how upset does that make you as a fan base? You know, the players now the players have um, such a say in soccer. So if they want to go, they can go uh, most of the time. As long as the team gets a good amount of money for them, that's where I would be upset if I'm a Roma fan. I mean, Roma, they're at the point now where they understand that they're not at the level. There's very few teams in the world that keep their best players. You're talking about Real Madrid, Barcelona, you know, probably Manchester United, um, there's very, very few teams that, that can keep their best players because they have the money to do so. They have the allure to do so. Um, Roma is not in that category. So he wanted to leave. He wanted to go back to the Premier League. Um, it's a bigger stage playing for Liverpool. Um, so he probably just wanted to challenge himself at that level. And like I said, he was a little bit of a Chelsea flop already. So he probably wanted to get back there to prove that he could actually play in the Premier League. Where I would be upset if I'm a Roma fan is the sum because he they only received like 45 million or 40 million for him or something, which is peanuts in this market where you know Neymar is getting over 200 million. Coutinho, who Liverpool sold to Barcelona, was like 150 million. So if anything, Roma fans should be upset that they didn't get more because they could have turned him into maybe maybe like two or three really good players because his value is much well, higher. Well, so that, that would bother me the most. I yeah. understand like if a player I, – I can get what you're saying. If a player wants to be traded, um, John Carlos Stanton wants to be traded in baseball or um, let's just say uh, Kyrie Irving want, wanted to be traded in basketball, the hall needs to at least be – 50 to 75 cents on the dollar. Right. Um, and what you're describing to me, and, and then you have to take those assets and you have to reinvest them back into the product. What, what bothers me about the uh, soccer world is that I feel as if, uh, I feel as if I'm a Mets fan, as if they don't reinvest the money back into the product. Is that a fair assessment? Well, they try to, Roma. They, you know, they, with financial fair play, and we could do a whole episode on it, it's basically a set of financial rules that UEFA implements where a team can only uh, spend a portion of their revenue. So it makes things very difficult because even though you have a very rich owner um, who has a lot of money, it doesn't necessarily mean that he could just go out and spend as much as he wants to buy players. So it's not so much that teams don't reinvest. Sometimes they have to sell just to meet those financial fair play demands because if you don't reach those financial fair so play demands... So it's like demands, a self-imposed cap. Yes, you can't... Exactly. You you might get a fine or you might... even If it's bad enough, you might even get banned from playing in European competition. So oh, wow. you have to... They have to manage that. Now, like I said, Roma they actually purchased a bunch of players. Um, they spent a good amount of money this summer. But Monchi, their sporting director, he had said that the problem was that Salah got sold before Neymar got sold. And if Salah would have gotten sold after Neymar, he would have set, he he set the got, market. Yeah, and they the Neymar sale just blew up the market to like a ridiculous level. And he would have utilized that to get more money, but because his sale went through first, he didn't know. Um, so that's the problem. And they didn't get enough money to really. It's hard because now you sold him at the pre Neymar market value, 
and now you're trying to spend the money in the post Neymar market value. And, you know, now your money is not the same. You know, it doesn't account for the same amount that it did before. So it, it was a tough situation for them. But he, they have a great sporting director in place. And they also are building their own stadium, which is going to help them a lot in terms of revenue. Revenue. And so, so they're a team to look forward to in the, in the next five years or so. I know we're, we're spending a lot of time on this. Yeah. And I know we, you said we could probably spend the whole episode on it. Um, but just give me a, a quick 30, to, 30 second to a minute uh, answer to this. Um, from what I'm understanding, a lot is based off of the revenue that the team uh, generates. Are you a fan of this system or would you, write, would you rather have a free market system or would you have a universal level salary cap across I, the leagues? It's, you know, it's, it's hard because they implemented this. Um, in order to stop like the Real Madrids and the Barcelonas and the Manchester Uniteds from spending so much money because that's what was happening before is where these teams, no matter what their financials were looking for, they looking like they still had so much money that, and they were spending so much of it that the other teams really couldn't compete with them. But now it got to the point where even with financial fair play, these teams are so big that they're still spending a lot of money because they have the most revenue out of everybody. So it's hard for teams if I'm an owner and I want to go buy a team and I have billions and billions of dollars, I still can't spend it because my team isn't generating that much revenue. So I'm not able to compete with these teams anyway. So it really, to me, it really defeated the purpose and it made it harder for other teams to compete. So what it sounds like to me is that it's, it's kind of hindering. Let's just say if you're a fan of, um, let's just say if you're a fan of a, a Leicester city, um, you know, a team that before their championship run uh, wasn't as well known uh, throughout, you know, the world. Um, let's just say you're, you're a new owner. You want to spend as much money as possible to, to win. You're not really able to do that. And it kind of lets your, your lower, uh, lower pre- prestige teams uh, really have to build uh, – formulaically and systematically um, brick by brick rather than one fell swoop of, of income um, and expansion overnight. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I think a salary cap would probably be the best system, but it's tough because um, the problem with the salary cap is how do you implement it? Because now you have to have salary caps at the country levels but then you also need to implement the salary cap to the European level in order to make everything fair. And it's just tough because, you know, teams in Spain have more money than teams in Italy. Why shouldn't their salary cap be, be higher, big, yeah. be higher yeah. than Italy's? But then on the European level, how does that work? So, you know, because if Italy can only spend a certain amount of money in their own country, why would Juventus go out? and spend money on guys that can't even play for them in Italy. So it's, it would be a really tough thing to, to do. Let me ask you a question. Do each of these leagues have player unions? Um, they do have player unions, but they're not as strong as ours. Like here. the, yeah, the NFL or the, uh, or major league baseball. They yeah. They're all free market contracts really. So that's, you know, they, they don't have any problems there. Interesting discussion. We'll probably have a whole episode devoted to it. Uh, Maybe we'll bring an accountant on board. Maybe he'll be able, he or she will be able to explain it a lot better. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's, let's move to the the Syria A competitions uh, over the last weekend, um, and it's getting late early 
for Napoli yes. as they tied to Sulo 1-1 and Juventus picked up a 3-1 victory over Milan. Um, is this race over? Well, the elimination from the Champions League, I'll say the pending elimination from the Champions League for Juventus definitely does not help Napoli because Juventus is going to be hell-bent on winning that seventh straight uh, Scudetto. So um, it seems like it is over Napoli against Sassuolo. It seemed very tired, um, you know, which I saw a stat where their players, their starting 11, quote-unquote, or their players in general, have played a ton more minutes than Juventus' players have just because Juventus is so much deeper. So mm-hmm. I think that they're just getting tired. And, you know, they, they're, these draws that they're getting are really breaking their back and, and probably allowing them to lose a little bit of confidence. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Juventus went on and won the Scudetto. I, I would say, you know, it seems as if they're limping towards the, um, towards the, towards the finishing line. They um, are. And, uh, you know, I guess this speaks more to, to your point about depth. Uh, if you're saying that that Juventus doesn't have the depth to compete with the Real Madrid, then how would a Napoli ever have the depth to can, compete with the a Real Madrid? Uh, if you want to make that comparison, because it seems as if they don't even have the the, the depth to compete with Juventus. Uh, so yeah, um, well, Napoli doesn't have depth, and that's why they didn't even try to to make it to the next round of the Champions League or the Europa League when they got dropped down to that because they don't have depth. And, um, you know, their focus was to play their starters as much as possible this season to try to win Serie A. And it obviously, I mean, there's still a bunch of games left. Anything could happen, but it does not look promising. Um at this point, they still have to play each other on April 22nd, but that's in Turin at Juventus Stadium. So it's going to be a very difficult match for them to win. And even if they do win it, they'll put more pressure on Juventus at that point. But uh, they have to stay close until then. Now, how are you doing? How are you doing uh, in in your family dynamic now that uh, Juventus beat Milan? Well, on Saturday, it was not good but the um real madrid domination definitely quieted <laughs> things down a little bit but um as far as the game so juventus beat milan three to one it was a great game um you know bonucci actually scored to tie it one one which was you know fantastic at that point but then juventus just wore wore them down it kind of the two games juventus milan and real madrid juventus kind of uh, mimicked each other for me a little bit because I saw in the Juventus-Milan game, I saw a Milan team that's not really as strong as Juventus but controlled the game for portions of it. And Juventus being the stronger, smarter team was kind of just sitting back and waiting and waiting for the mistake to come to pounce on the mistake. And it was very similar in the Real Madrid-Juventus game where Real Madrid was the more talented team and uh, more experienced and they were the ones that were just letting Juventus control the game and they were waiting for the mistake to happen and it, they eventually came also so it, that comparison was interesting to me because I don't think Milan is yet on the level of Juventus or anywhere close but you know they're moving in the right direction yeah, so, so they're they're trending in the right direction and then we we also had the result of 
of zero uh, of a draw of zero zero against Inter. Yeah, that was yesterday, and that um, one. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean it's it, it uh, that's the derby, right? Um, yeah. And uh, obviously, that's hotly contested two rival teams. Uh, were you expecting a better result? Was this a result you thought was going to happen? Uh, are you happy with it? <laughs> I expect I'm not happy with it as a Milan fan, um, but I expected it because Inter, when they needed a tie this year, you know, when they went into games against Napoli twice now and Juventus uh, once, they still have to play Juventus again. When they went into those games, they played pretty much for ties and they were able to get them. So I knew that. Milan going into this match, they needed the win, whereas Juvent- uh, Inter needed the t- only needed the tie because Inter was eight points ahead of Milan going into this match, so a tie favored them very, very nicely. So I figured if they can get ties against Napoli and Juventus, who are much stronger teams, of course they can get a tie against Milan, and, and that's what they did. You know, they should have actually won in their defense. Inter they had. Two unbelievable chances by their starting forward, Mauro Icardi, who normally, I mean, they, I don't even want to call them chances because they were shooing goals. <laughs> I just don't know how he didn't score them. They literally, there was a wide open net in front of him. All he had to do was tap the ball in, and he sent the ball wide both times. It was crazy to see. Um, so they should have won. But, you know, they, they defended pretty much for the whole game. They didn't really give Milan any opportunities to, to attack and try to score, uh, give them any space. So I kind of figured a draw was where it was headed, and it, it did by some divine mercy because Inter really should have won the game. Now, as, as we trend towards the end of the year, um, I know a big uh, topic of discussion for Milan fans is if they're going to bring back a Tuso next year. Um, or which camp are you in? Do you want to bring them back or do you want to move on and find a different coach? So they actually just signed him to an extension. So he, he is now signed through 2021. So he will be brought back. He is going to be their coach. Um, he's done a great job. Uh, he really revitalized the team. Uh, they were really, really poor in the beginning of the season. And since he came on, he, he started off a little shaky, but he really got their confidence up, their morale up. They're playing much better. They're much more dangerous. So I could see why they made the decision. For me, um, I just think why not wait until the end of the season because now you've extended him for uh, two more seasons and there's still eight games left in this season. So you know, what if they have a terrible last eight games and now you question the decision to bring him back next year? Meanwhile, he signed up already and – and now you've guaranteed the fans, and he's an idol. He's a club idol. You've guaranteed him that he's going to be back next year. And meanwhile, if it doesn't work out, number one, now you have to pay him, even if it doesn't work out. Number two, um, you're going to let the fans down because you're burning a bridge with a legend. But I just think it would have made more sense to wait to see what the full body of work was at, until the end of the season and then make a decision on whether he should be given an extension or not. What was the, what was the rush? I don't know. That's the, I mean, I think maybe just, uh, you know, fan pressure um, because he's been doing a great job and he's an idol. So they want they wanted him to be treated well. I mean, he wasn't making any money because he was being paid as the youth team coach. So he wasn't making a, a good amount of money. He's like the least paid coach in Serie A by <laughs> some some margin. But look, you know, this is an opportunity for him. And, and I think that if he would have had to wait until the end of the season, 
and proved himself, he would have taken that opportunity and, and, you know, shown that he could do it. I don't see that he was in a rush to get this done. All right. Um, we head towards the top four um, as we head down the stretch here. Um, I know it's a race for the, the top four teams here. So we have Juventus and Napoli, obviously, uh, competing for the title. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, how, how is it falling in um, and where do we think it's going from there? Yeah, so this is a, this game, Milan Inter was a huge game for the top four implications because Milan was kind of climbing up the ladder, trying to get into that top four picture. Um, Roma is in third; they are nine points ahead of Milan. Inter now is in fourth, eight points ahead of Milan, and Lazio is in fifth, six points ahead of Milan. So those three teams really are battling it out for the top four for the last two spots in the top four. Um, I think at this point it's probably too much of a mountain to climb for Milan, so I don't see them doing it unless they run the table and two teams in front of them will have to really struggle down the stretch. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting. I think Roma's a lock to, to get third place. They are a very strong team. They have the experience. They have probably the best players out of the three teams. Um, so I think they'll stay there. Uh, Inter and Lazio, that's going to be interesting to see how the how that pans out. They actually play each other on the last day, so it would be exciting for the league if they get to that last day and one of them is in fourth and the other one is in fifth, and that's really a playoff for, for the top four. All right, let's, let's touch briefly on this uh, uh, because it's a fami- familiar series, uh, f- friend, uh, familiar face rather, um, Antonio Conte in the Premier League. Not having a good time. Um, not having a good time. And I, I don't know if it's, these are real tweets or if they're, they're fake news or what they are, but I constantly see quotes um, apparently from him, and you would be a better – you could tell me if they are true or not about how he doesn't like being in England, um, how he wants – can't wait to come back to Italy. Um, are these real tweets? Are these re- are these true statements that he's saying in the press conference? So there's always been like a, a, like rumblings in the background that he wants to come back to Italy because it's it's hard for an Italian to go to England. I mean, a lot of them have trouble doing it because you it's it's a very different atmosphere. It's a different type of of soccer. It's, it's a different it's culture a different, to right, begin the with. The food is different. The weather is different. I mean, and not making a joke out of it. It's true. It, they just, it's a very, very different culturally, you know, whereas in Italy and Spain, you know, they're not really that diff- different culturally, you know, but those two countries are. And I think more importantly than the fact that he might be a little homesick and just wants to come back to Italy, he was not impressed at all with the team's um, transfers in the summer. That probably was the the major problem because he saw Manchester City and Manchester United spending like crazy. And he, even though they won the Premier League last year, Chelsea, he knew that he was going to have to really reinforce to compete with what those two teams were doing. And even Liverpool uh, reinforced mm. quite a bit. Um, so I think that's really where the problem lies. The board has the final say on transfers and they went out and kind of purchased the players that they wanted to purchase. And maybe they weren't the players that he necessarily was in love with. Um, and he doesn't think maybe that they made the right moves to, to give him a shot to win the premier league this year. But, you know, even more so than that, now they're out of the top four race because they lost the game to Tottenham over the weekend, three to one, which was a huge game. Yeah, it, it was seemed, at home it too. Seemed, so 
it seems like the wheels are coming off the wagon. Yeah, I don't see him uh, staying there. I think either he's going to want to leave or um, the board is going to fire him. Chelsea has a short leash with managers to begin with. They, If you look at their history, they constantly change managers. Um, so I don't see him leaving. I don't see him lasting anyway, but he might want to leave. It might be mutual you know, for the two sides to part ways. Now, the interesting thing that I found out um, – from our conversations and learning about the sport is that the Italian uh, national team's head coach does not coach another team. Right. He just, he just, co- he or she just coaches um, the, the national okay. team. Um, is Antonio Conte a possibility? For this? So I don't think so. And I'll tell you why I mean, they would love to have him back. He did a great job with Italy, but I think the problem lies in the fact that he already took Italy through the cycle of getting to the Euros, which so now in, in international soccer, there are two cycles in Europe. There's the European Championship cycle and there's the World Cup cycle. And they're both about two year commitments. Um, it's very rare. I mean, in some countries where they have like a set coach for a long time, like Spain did and, and um, Italy actually did at one point too, where a coach goes through the Euros and through the, the World Cup. But Conti did the Euros already. And if he were to join Italy again now, he would be going through the Euro cycle again. again. Yeah. And I think that the, the, I guess the attraction for him at this point would be to, to do the World Cup. You know, I don't think he would want mm. to go through the Euro cycle again. And last time he left Italy because he had problems with the clubs because he wanted to meet with the players once a month um, to practice and train and work on things. He wanted to invite them. Even if there were no friendlies or international games going on, he would still want the players to come in for a week or two, once a month, just to gather them and meet them and, and get them practicing you know, his style. And the clubs are obviously very against that. So it would, in, in order for him to accept the position again, number one, he'd have to be in it for the long haul because I'm telling you, he'd want to do a World Cup. So it would be a four-year commitment. Uh, from him, and I think he would need those things to be agreed upon as far as um, the uh, the meeting of the players once a month. Interesting, very very interesting. So I'm guessing we'll we'll see how this plays out. Is there any job in particular you think he might? Besides, obviously, talking about the Italian national team, is there anything in particular you think he's looking into or would be a good fit? Well, there's, there's rumors about him going to PSG, possibly, because it looks like PSG's coach is on the way out. Um, you know, he hasn't really done well there in the, in the two years that he's been there, uh, Emery. So he might be on the way out and, and Conti might, um, you know, head there. Uh, there's a ton of money there, so they could buy anybody that he wants. He'd obviously have Neymar there, which is huge. Um, and, you know, that team kind of needs like a little bit of determination and grit, which are his strengths. So I think he might be the right coach for them to get them into that mindset, which, you know, uh, last point on him at, at Chelsea is that's the biggest difference for me with him this year is I've seen him at Juventus. I've seen him before Juventus where he's coached body and other teams. Um, and I've seen him with the Italian national team and at all his stops. He's crazy on the sidelines. I mean, you, you saw it last year at the Euros. He's yeah. just a nut job. He's running up and down. He's so passionate. He's yelling the whole time. And this year at Chelsea, he hasn't had that. He hasn't shown that. So that tells me that there's something wrong there, that he's not really enjoying himself and giving it his all um, for that reason. So, you know, that's 
this, I think he's going to be gone, and PSG is definitely a place for him to go if he doesn't go to Italy. And, and last thing on the Premier League, um, this week, Manchester City versus Manchester United. Manchester City will be looking to rebound from that Liverpool loss, and they could actually win the Premier League uh, this this upcoming weekend at, against Manchester United, which would be you know terrible for Manchester United fans. <laughs> All right. Um... I, I, I want to breeze through some of these topics because, uh, because we're running all short on time here. Um, but uh, I, I feel like we could have possibly led this, led this show with this. But um, MLZ meets MLS. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic <laughs> uh, with an unbelievable debut, um, which very fortuitously uh, was run nationally on, on, uh, on the Fox channels. Um, throughout the country, um, what a great game! What a great show for MLS, honestly. Yeah, real. I mean, I, you couldn't ask for a better debut and a, a better, real star-studded event. And you know, I have to, I have to give you know, give a little hat tip to you. You did say that um, you know he still had something left in the tank. He's not, at, he's not nearly uh, at the twilight of his career. He could still perform, um, and he did that. Yeah, my thing with him is that he's. He's not a guy that relies on his speed a lot. He, you know, he's very, he's technically very, very good. He's at, he's uh, physical, athletic, um, but he's not very, very quick. So yeah, a guy like that has a better chance of surviving the later years of his career than someone who obviously relies on their speed. And the game itself was unreal. I mean, they were down three nothing to LAFC. Um, then they come back, and it's three one when they bring him into the game. They score again to make it 3-2. And then, obviously, he scores the two goals, which I respect the MLS. The LAFC fans are not going to like me. are not going to want to hear this. But the second goal by Zlatan Ibrahimovic was offsides, the header. But MLS wanted no part of ruining that storyline. I mean, they they were all – and they have VAR. They have video assistant. So they should have definitely overturned that. But – they love the story and the ratings, so they definitely they were not going to touch that. Well, you know, it, I think it's interesting because we kind of got into the conversation in previous weeks about how um, the MLS was now trying to move away from this philosophy of getting people that were getting European stars that were were over the hill and weren't going to give you anything, um, and kind of developing teams more along the lines of how the Red Bulls kind of developed their team and Toronto and Seattle and, and Portland. Um, they developed their team with homegrown players. Uh, this might this might make you rethink bringing in a European star, though. Yeah, uh, because he very clearly um, is much more talented than everyone else on the field. Yeah, which you know it definitely is a contrast of styles and opinions. But there's only a certain amount of people that can really come in and do this. You know, like look, Pirlo wasn't able to do this. David Villa. As great as he's doing at NYCFC, he, and he's doing a great job. He's a great player for them. He's not bringing this type of publicity to the MLS, um, where Zlatan is. And you know, it's it's the whole package. It's the 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 press conference where he says, "I'm like Benjamin Button. I get better with age." And this that, and then he goes out. Well, I'm taking out an ad and saying, "You're welcome <laughs> to LA." Exactly. And he goes out and he and he performs. So now my question to you is. As a novice fan, someone who doesn't really maybe understand the game but enjoys watching it and is entertained by it, 
which goal was better, Zlatan's or Ronaldo's? This, this is actually a very, very good question. Um, because Zlatan's first goal, uh, the one that you're talking yeah, about, yeah, that's the one. Um, was I thought it was photoshopped. I didn't think it was real at first <laughs> because he shot it from so far away. And the velocity that he picked up, yeah. I mean, I you know, there's all these stats in baseball about velo off the bat. I want to know the velo off of his foot for how hard he hit that ball. Um, and the way it and, dipped right over, right? And it dipped right in. It was unbelievable. And I think people are probably not going to, you know, not agree with me. But uh, I think because of how far away he was, um, I think that was the more impressive goal um, because I've seen people attempt the bicycle kick before. Um, I've never seen someone have the goal to shoot from that far out and then bury it. Yeah, see, I have to disagree with you because to me, as great of a goal as it was, if it's in the Champions League against a top goalie in the world. Oh, I guess time and place. Yes. Well, of course, that, that, you know, that, <laughs> yeah, of course, the, the significance of Ronaldo's goal is more is higher than the significance of Zlatan's goal. But even, I mean, in my opinion, the goalie misplayed that also. Like, there, there's no way he should have been that far out. He should have definitely been off his line, but not so far where, you know, he was able to do that. But no one in the MLS does that. So he, he probably just didn't think it was even possible. And next thing you know, the ball's going over his head. Uh, the theatrics of it were great just because it and, was a tying goal in a great game. And it was his first. So, game. so you give you give more credence to the fact that there's nothing Buffon could have done about that Ronaldo goal. He he literally on a bicycle kick put it in a in a place that no one could. Yeah, no one could I, stop it. For me personally, Ronaldo's goal was better. Just on the scale of where you know the significance of the game, the time of the game that it happened, because the game was really still in the balance at that point, and also just the technique of it was much harder to do. I think Ronaldo would have been able to score that Zion goal as well. You know, it's just this technique of Ronaldo's goal, how high he got, the perfection of his form, all of it combined was really, really impressive. Well, I'm I'm sure we'll see both on replay uh, for many, many years Ronaldo would be great in the MLS. That's the one guy outside of Zlatan that I could see having the same type of hype hype that, that he's getting right now. Why? Because of the personality behind it as yeah, well. Yeah, just the theme, the personality, the athletic ability. Uh, you know, he just seems very out Let me tell you, this, that guy's full of them. That guy's really full of Ronaldo? Himself. Yeah, wouldn't you I mean, be? I, I mean... Guy's gorgeous. Physical specimen. <laughs> best I mean, play, well, one of the best players in the world. You know, let, top two. You know, I, I've seen, obviously, you see people score goals in, in hockey. You see them score goals in soccer. Um, he, you see them score touchdowns in football. Um, he, would, didn't, he would not mind if no one else came, no, none of his teammates came around. He, after he scored that second goal, he wanted to do that Superman pose. Um, <laughs> and he didn't mind at all if no one else came around. He just wanted to do that pose to, to that away crowd and let them know uh, not to, you know, don't tug on Superman's game. Listen, the guy is great. I mean, he's scored 
He's averaging like one and a half goals per game, which is unheard of in soccer. I mean, you're looking at a, a sport where if a striker scores once every two games, that's a great record. This guy's averaging one and a half goals a game, and he scored in 10 straight games. That's, that's another thing that's unheard of, 10 straight Champions League games, which is no one's ever done before. He's just – if he wants to be full of himself, let him be full of himself because he's now, really, really earned it. Let me ask you a question. Is there, is there the debates in Europe? I mean, you're, you're more in tune with this than, than I. Do they have the Odell Beckham discussions? Like enough is enough with the, with the celebrations. Enough is enough with um, him being full of himself. Is that, is that ever come up at all? Yeah, well, the pe- so there's like two camps in, in Europe and, and in the world, I guess, for, for soccer. It's the Lionel Messi camp and the Ronaldo camp. And they're constantly fighting about who's better because Messi is more of a team player. He creates more for his teammates. He, his celebrations are not as crazy. They're more inclusive of his teammates. Um, and Ronaldo, on the other hand, is a great goal scorer. At this point, uh, he's not really much of a playmaker. You know, he's mo- mostly just scoring goals, finishing them. Um, his celebration is, you know, iconic at this point, that Superman celebration that he does. Um, so the Messi fans will, of course, say, like, enough with the celebrations. He's so selfish. He doesn't create for anybody else, which are valid points. But for me, and I just like to appreciate both of them. I think Messi is the best player in the world, but I think Ronaldo's number two, and I think Ronaldo's the best goal scorer in the world. Um, but, you know, for me, Ronaldo did a great job. He was a winger early on in his career up until a few years ago for Manchester United and for Real Madrid. As he got older, he learned that he's not going to be able to be a winger anymore because maybe he's going to lose a little bit of speed and he's not going to be able to get around people or playmake as much as he used to. So he made himself into a striker, basically. That's what he is now. And he's done a great job and become the best one in the world. So kudos to him for being humble enough to, le- to realize that he wasn't going to be able to play the same way for the remainder of his career, and he changed his position. Interesting. That's, that's very, very interesting. Uh, I like to break down the, the grittiness, the, the team-first mentality of Lionel Messi, and there's the raw athleticism, the raw ability, um, the, just the absolute talent of Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, I guess you, you make a decision uh, on who, who you think is the best player in the world. Um, let's just head to non-soccer topics uh, yep. since uh, we're, we're short on time. Uh, Villanova won their second national championship within three years. Um, we kind of had this discussion with John Dostremski at WFAN uh, on our last episode, and we'll continue it now after Villanova did complete what we, what we had foresaw them doing. Um, Jay Wright, is he the best coach in college hoops right now? Has to be for me. I mean, he's won two of the last three. They're always in the conversation of uh, you know, national title contenders. Um, they get deep into the tournament often. You know, they kind of had that taboo of they can't make it to the Final Four and they can't win the national championship, even though they were like the number one seed a bunch of years. They always fell short, um, but they've clearly broken that in the past three yeah. years. So, you know, who who's better right now? Oh, yeah, listen, I mean, he's a tremendous coach and uh, to to win multiple national championships, he joins elite company. 
uh, 13 or 14 coaches have ever done this before, depending on if uh, you're counting Rick, Rick Pitino's Louisville victory as well still. Um, So obviously that's very, very elite company. I think there's only three that are currently coaching um, right now. Uh, And keep in mind, you know, I want listeners to think about this. He did this in a conference that felt part. Yeah. While, you know, while he was building his program. Yep. Um, he made the Big East, the new Big East, his conference. Exactly. It's Villanova's yeah, conference. Now it's, it, exactly. You know. And he, and he's, he's kept that conference afloat. Yeah. They very easily could have become an Atlantic 10 um, or, you know, one of these more mid-level uh, Conference USA. I don't even know if that still exists <laughs> anymore. American <laughs> Athletic Conference. You, you know, yeah. the, those, ty- those type of mid, mid-level um, non top, you know, not non power five, uh, power, you know, non conference. Yep. Um, he, you know, he anchored a conference that had two number one seeds with, with Xavier being a number one seed. Uh, they were number one at points throughout this year. Um, it, it's just, you know, not only for what he means to the city in that school, but what he means to the conference, uh, you have to take that into account. And it's something that, you know, uh, even my guy, John Calipari, has never now done I was going to call you out on that. But last yeah. week you said your boy Calipari was number one. Is he still number one? Or what do you think? I, I'll t- I will take him any day of the week um, yeah. just because he, he gets the best talent. Um, and I think, you know, they coach differently, obviously. Jay Wright has more championships now, though. Yeah, it, it, he does. But, you know, like I said, they coach differently because Calipari is turning it out with freshmen every, freshmen every year. Yeah. Um, and in his Jay defense, Wright, if you ever watch the 30 for 30 on Coach Cal, he clearly believes that his win a national championship, not to make a great team. Absolutely. His yeah. job is to get these guys high lottery picks in the NBA so they can make money and provide for their family. Like that's what he really believes his job is. Yeah, and you know, at the end of the day, I don't think there's another co- coach in the country who can continuously keep taking five freshmen every single year and bring them to the NCAA tournament to the Sweet 16 um, and continue to have 25 to 31 years. Uh, but then at the same time, the strengths that Jay Wright has of developing players, you saw with, with Alan Ray, with Kyle Lowry, with uh, Ryan Archidiacono, yeah. whatever, however you yeah. say his name, <laughs> uh, you saw it with Dante, uh, with with Dante Cunningham, with uh, with Dante DiVincenzo. Yeah. You see it with Jalen Brunson. Um, he has an ability, a Coach K like ability, to improve the players over their career. Um, and and you really benefit if you go to Villanova if you play all four years, you come out as a very, very good, a very uh, disciplined basketball player at the end of it. Yeah. I mean, it's two schools of thought, right? But Villanova is not going to get the one and done. I mean, they might now, if he wanted to, he probably could get them at this point. Um, But his focus is to try to win championships for Villanova and his resume at this point, at least in recent um, history is the more complete, better resume. But there's something to be said about Coach Cal and the fact that he has gone and done it. 
um, at UMass and at Memphis, even though UMass obviously it got uh, revoked, but you know, he's done it at yeah. Memphis and now he's done it at, at Kentucky. So it's two separate arguments for me. You know, do you prefer the guy who's been at the same program for a long time and, and built it up, or do you prefer the, the Coach Cal guy who can go anywhere and do it? And, and you know, I don't, I don't want to give your, your argument any more, uh, you know, firepower, but do you, if you lined up the if you lined up the players right now between Villanova, the team that just won the national championship, and the Coach Cal team that he just had that was eliminated in the Sweet Sixteen, chances are at the end of the day, Coach Cal's team is more talented. They have yeah. more, they have raw talent um, every year. Um, so I, you have to give credit to to Jay Wright and his staff and what they do is they develop these players. Um, to get the best out of them. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's different stages of mentorship. Uh, if, he could, if Coach Cal could ever get his players to stay for three or four years, um, if he suggested that, I think they'll win another national championship. For me, I think the argument really becomes more, instead of Jay Wright versus Coach Cal, it becomes more Jay Wright versus Tom Izzo versus Jim Beheim because those are guys that have been in the same programs for a long time. And, and you know, obviously Coach K is ahead of, of Jay Wright because even though Wright has the more recent success, Duke has won not that long ago, and his resume over the however many years he's been at Duke has just been insane. Uh, but, you know, if you, if you compare Wright to Izzo and Beheim, I think he's surpassed Beheim at this point. Yeah, I, he's definitely – He might be right there with Izzo. Passed. Well, you know the thing about Izzo is that Izzo has made so many Final Fours. Yeah, um, that's what that what that's what makes him a great coach. Um, but you know, with Izzo and Beheim, at the end of the day, you have to win the championship. Yeah. Um, and uh, you have to realize Villanova is a rather small school in comparison to a Syracuse and a Michigan State. Of course, um, and he's basically taking a, a team he resurrected a program and he, they're now a top now they're now they're in the same breath as a Duke and a North Carolina, um, which I don't know if you could really say that about a Syracuse or, or Michigan state. No, um, I don't know if they've ever been in a top three discussion. Yeah. My argument would be that Villanova, he's not just getting them into the tournament and that's where they're really turning it on and make, look at, look at Syracuse. I mean, I know you're an alum and, and you and JJ love Syracuse, but let's look at the facts. They're not ranked highly every single year. You know, they're kind of middle middle of the pack. They play in tough conferences, so you know, that might yeah. have something to do with it also. But, you know, they're kind of just sneaking in lately. Yeah, they make a run to the Sweet Sixteen or the Elite Eight. But and the same thing with Michigan State, you know, they're not number one seeds every year, whereas Villanova is in the conversation for number one team in the country every year before they even get to the tournament. And now they're actually just putting it together in the tournament as well. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting to, to see too, because Jay Wright's just entering the prime of his coaching career. Yeah. Um, he's going, he's, he may win more championships. Well, does you know he, what I mean? And should he leave? What do you think? No, he shouldn't. I don't think so either. Um, I, and um, they asked this to, I believe it was Alan Ray, um, because he was doing some of the coverage for uh, TBS or TNT or one of those networks. Um, and he said no, because 
an NBA player, what works in college doesn't work with an NBA player. You have to earn an NBA player's respect. And at this point, in this juncture, I don't think the NBA players really respect many head coaches, unless you're Greg Popovich. You know what I mean? You can see, you can see they're, they basically are coaching themselves um, in Cleveland right now. Yeah. Uh, they, don't, they don't need a coach for that. Um, the only job that makes sense to me would be for him is the Sixers job because that, you know, he's, he's a Philadelphia guy. Villanova is a Philadelphia school. He's loved there. The, the Sixers are on the up. They're a young team still. So they might, um, you know, they might listen to him and, and, and respect him enough to, to have him coach them. But the Sixers, why would they fire Brett Brown at this point? You know, it doesn't well, make sense. So think about it. Think about it this way. It didn't work out for Nick Saban. Right. It didn't work out for Rick Pitino. It didn't work out for John Calipari. Some people are just better at being a college coach than they are being a professional coach. And that's all right. Yeah. Um, he's, he's built up what he's needed to. Um, it would be a real shame for him to jump to the NBA. It didn't work out. And now he has to go back and rebuild the whole program. Yeah, look at Coach K. You know, does anybody knock on Coach K because – he never went to the NBA. No, you know what he did? He, he's the smartest. He decided to coach Team USA instead. So he's like, and, and, I have the Duke resume. Now, you can't say that I can't coach NBA players because I'm dominating. I've resurrected USA ba- basketball because it was in, you know, in a slump before he took it over. And you know, you know where that argument also comes up, and it, it, it infuriates me sometimes. Uh, when people say that Gino Oriema should leave the UConn women and should coach a men's basketball team. Um, why would you leave such sustained success? Right. He gets the best prospects at why, you know, that's like me building this beautiful palatial estate and then being like, you know what? I, I, I enjoyed the building process more than reaping the benefits of having this beautiful house yeah. and knocking it down and then rebuilding it. And again. he can't even leave now because he has to win again because now what happened with the past two years, losing in the final four both years, Ariema, he is definitely wants to prove that he can win again because this has become like a bit of a curse for him now. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, uh, I would, you know, if I'm Jay Wright, if I'm Gino Ariema, if you built up this program, you should stay there. Um, let's end on this note. Kyrie Irving out for the year with the Celtics. Very quickly, Claudio, who is coming out of the East uh, in the NBA? LeBron. <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah. I hate to say it, but until someone knocks him off of his throne, he's going to be the guy. I think he's just – I would love to say the Sixers. They're playing great basketball right now. I mean, what if they won 15 in a row or something crazy? Yeah. They're a talented team. Uh, but, you know, LeBron in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference – he, the, he's going to, he, he'll probably win again. I, I don't see anything different. Well, what I'll, I'll say this and we'll end on this note is that um, I really thought that the Celtics had an opportunity because they had the star with Kyrie. They had great pieces with, um, with Al Horford. Um, obviously yeah. Gordon Hayward wasn't with them after he got injured in the first game of the year, um, but they had great pieces as well. Um, and they had the perfect head coach to take down LeBron to draw up the game plan in, in Brad Stevens. Um, it's unfortunate. Um, I'll always contend that a team like Toronto, until they have a true, true star, and I know people will say DeMar DeRozan's a star, um, 
they're not on the same level as LeBron James. Uh, so the so the East, as usual, goes through LeBron James. Yeah, it's unfortunate because, like you said, the Celtics, I think, were primed to do it because they just had such a strong team, but they added the star who could take over games. And that's really what you need in the playoffs. You need somebody who... Well, think about their, think about their luck here. Yeah, they had terrible They luck. had two stars. Yeah, people forget Gordon Hayward is a tremendous, tremendous basketball player. Yeah, um, and we you didn't even get to see ten minutes of Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving together. Immediately, fir- and immediately the first game of the year he got injured. It's very, very sad, honestly, because I would have liked to see that team at full strength. And I and look, even without. Hayward and Kyrie, Brad Stevens still has them playing well. So imagine those two guys on the court, what they would have been able to accomplish. Um, but, you know, like you said, at the end of the day in the playoffs, it's about star power because you need somebody that could take over games. And, and when all else fails at the end of the games in fourth quarters, you need someone to throw the ball to that can go to work. And, and the only team in the East that really has that is LeBron. And things are shaping up nicely for him, if you ask me, because I think with the Warriors – um, being as fragile as they are at this point, um, even if they do make it to the finals, it's going to be a tough road for them, and they might be a little banged up. Um, yeah. So I think you know he he might have a good shot to to win another. That's one why people people that say you know that he's going to leave and go to L.A. He should stay in the Eastern Conference, hundred percent. You know a, until the end of his career, because if you have LeBron James in the Eastern Conference, you pretty much can write your ticket to the Eastern Conference Finals. Exactly. Um, why would he go to the? Why would he go to LA? The Warriors aren't get aren't old where they're about to fall apart. You have the Rockets there, who you know James Harden is, if not the best player in the NBA right now, one of the top three, and he's not get he's not that. You old. have the Tim, the Timberwolves are improving. Yeah, you, you always have, have the Spurs to worry about there. So the Pelicans, you know, if, if um, Anthony Davis stays there with DeMarcus Cousins, it's a tough, tough conference. And tough conference, Why would yeah. you go there and battle it out when you can have an easy road where you play maybe one tough series before you get to the finals in the East? Absolutely. All right. Well, um, if you jo- enjoyed what you just heard right here, um, follow us on Twitter at IdiotExpertPod. Follow my co-host Claudio Perfetto at cperfetto11. Follow myself at couchjojo5. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, you could find this podcast on iTunes, on um, cloudsports.tk, and on Anchor. Uh, again, this was episode seven of an Indian Expert podcast, and we'll hear, we'll see you guys. I can't see you. Um, we will talk to you guys uh, next time around. <laughs>